Welcome to episode 17 of Virtually Relevant. I'm Eric. I'm Josh. This is Kevin. And hey, I'm William. We're uh, talking about the latest VR news this episode, and the the thing that just hit the the rumor mill as uh, this episode was going to press, we've got leaked renders of the Oculus Quest refresh that we talked about back in episode yes. 15. Uh, the the evidence for this coming out this year is getting very compelling. It, it looks like uh, this is almost certainly going to happen. It's hard to know the, whether the rumor, the uh, you know which of the rumors are true and what things in the render might be correct. But the it's worth noting that the source that leaked it has leaked accurate renders of headsets in the past uh, ahead of their releases. So and a, and this is Bloomberg, right? Still. Uh, I'm trying to remember the original leaker. I have to go back and look. I, I think look. Bloomberg was the original leak, uh, but I don't know who's who leaked the renders this time. So, uh, notably, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's yeah. It it looks like uh, I mean it looks very Oculusy. Uh, it's it's white. It looks like the fabric's mm-hmm. been replaced with plastic. Um, there's a lot of things that you can take some decent guesses at based on the. Uh, the render and and some of them line up with past rumors. Um, it's it's notable that the, the I guess the first things that jumped out at me when I was looking at it is uh, the the upper pair of cameras are angled further out, which suggests to me that it may have better tracking volume for the hand trackers, which would be very welcome. Uh, the um, the power cord uh, socket or the the USB C socket has been shifted into a less obnoxious position <laughs> if you're going and to do things. And it does look like USB-C. So yes. That's good. So I, I think a lot of this is just kind of... Because there were a lot of features that were in the Quest that got repurposed or expanded. Um, you know, the hand tracking was kind of tacked on. The Oculus Link was kind of tacked on. And there were probably a lot of design decisions that you might have made a little differently and, and refined a little differently if they were known from the beginning as opposed to sort of a hey i bet it could do that so uh you know there's there's some some very cool stuff going on what do people want to talk about on you know because we could we, we talked about the rumor mill last time but now we can kind of marry it up to the image and some of the right. other rumors about uh what we're hearing is that they're targeting two million units produced which is a very respectable number on top of wow. however many they've sold of the original quest uh, which definitely means they think they're going to sell through well, which certainly means not a price increase. And I would not be surprised, based on a couple of other things we see in the image, if it was a price decrease. Yeah, they're not, according to this uh, leaked image, they're not being very subtle to show you the difference between a, a, an OG quest and a quest refresh. Yeah, I don't think they want anyone wondering which quest they've got, you know, or which quest right. they're buying. Uh, I think it's probably a very deliberate choice to make it strikingly obvious which one you've got you mean, um, right. it's not a, a black to dark blue kind no of change. <laughs> yeah no it's <laughs> like the, the the vibe pro <laughs> um so it's interesting like i i noticed in the render and i'm looking at it now the the rigid back strap uh the back or the lower head strap i think right. that's an interesting take because I, it doesn't obviously we don't see the back of it it's just a head-on shot or three quarters angle shot right um so you can't see how that would adjust um but it's clearly a rigid strap so i'm wondering is that going to be something where you know do we have an adjustment knob on the back or i'm betting we do here's is it like spring-loaded kind of thing i'm betting it's an adjustment knob because here's the thing i've been 
I've spent my last three weeks living inside of a um, Pico Neo 2i headset. And it's yeah. really notable to me that it has a rigid halo band that goes around the, the back in exactly that way, plus an adjustable top strap. I mean, the, the system looks very, very similar. And it is, to my mind, very comfortable. <laughs> um, it, it distributes the weight better so that it's not front heavy and all hanging off your face. With the Quest, I mean, you really do have to kind of tighten it down to your face quite a bit to keep it from slopping around. And right. since it's all front heavy, I mean, everything's in the front, that becomes uncomfortable after a while. Whereas with the, the Pico Neo 2, it's got the battery in the back, which shifts some of the weight. And then the rigid band distributes the weight differently. So, And right. you kind of saw them go a little more that direction with the Rift S. I mean, they went with more of a Halo style uh, band. So that may just be kind of the direction they've decided is their preference. Yeah, I do like this, like you mentioned, the striking difference between black versus white. It is it is kind of giving me very Apple vibes, which you know, yes. falls in line with that whole, you know, Oculus is becoming the Apple of VR. They don't release it first, but right. they do release it very polished um, type thing. And the, and the very stark white uh, look is, is just kind of throws Apple <clears throat> at me. Yeah, um, but it'll it's be kind of the aesthetic uh, they look like I, they're going for. Yeah. And then the obviously you can tell there's an additional <clears throat> camera, which I can assume there's a paired one on the other corner uh, in the top right and left corners. Well, those um, those are there in the those. original, but they're they're angled further right. out this time. Yeah, right. They look they're further back on this. Right. One. So, you know, looking to increase that 270. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely think that uh, increasing their tracking volume is there. I mean, there's there were a lot of rumors about the, you know, Jedi controllers that were for the the Del Mar prototype, and um, you know one of the things if you look in the SDK if you if you crack it open uh, the infrared uh, LEDs on it that run at uh, thirty frames a second or thirty hertz on the um, the initial touch controllers and the Quest touch controllers are at sixty on this one we believe so there should be half the latency on your uh, tracking and also if something if it leaves the tracking volume it should be twice as fast to reacquire which uh is also very nice you definitely have that that heartbeat when it pops back in uh even though it should still be should be in your field of view right so um and there was some uh they people don't talk about it much but they actually did dumb down the haptics quite a bit when they went to the quest touch controller um so there's some indications that maybe they've uh, remedied that in in the latest one. I've seen a lot of people say that they would they would do anything to get the build quality of the CV1 touch controllers yeah. into the the current generation of controllers. I'm going to be very curious to see what the build quality looks like on this because there are some things that it definitely looks elegant, but they did trade some things that suggest they're trying to cut some costs, like the fabric covering around the outside. That's that's expensive to put together. It's now plastic. Uh, a thing that jumped out at me, and you can never know because we only see from one angle. They could have changed the mechanism. But very notably in the spot where the IPD slider is on the current Generation Quest, it isn't on the refresh. Um, right. That would potentially suggest no mechanical IPD slider which would potentially suggest one screen instead of two, all of which would save potentially a lot of money. Um, right. the, the current Quest is using two very expensive OLED screens and some very complicated... I mean, I remember when they, they showed the exploded diagram of it at, uh, at Connect, 
it's a ridiculous number of parts. It is a very complex manufacturing process. So if they swap out things like fabric and the IPD slider and a single screen and not having the mechanical complexity, they've suddenly got a lot of money in the budget to throw into, say, a much better Snapdragon chip, um, which could buy you a higher refresh rate, which is certainly one of the rumors. Um you know, potentially give you some overhead. I mean, I'm sure they're not going to want to make it <clears throat> so that it's so that people are targeting it as an exclusive platform. I mean, this uh, you know, it's it's a mid session refresh. So, but you could totally get away with same same uh, capabilities, but higher refresh rate or higher refresh rate and higher resolution. Uh, the the Pico Neo two that I'm running, well, two I. Uh, it's got two generations newer. I think it's the 855. And that's capable of driving a, a much higher resolution screen. So, uh, you know, if you pushed all the way up to like the XR2, you could do a higher resolution screen at 90 hertz. And I think all of that could happen at the driver level so that developers didn't even have to recode at all. It would just automatically happen. I, I do want to say in in the the picture that I'm looking at, you know, again these are all, you know, um, possible renders of it. But in the the one that I'm looking at, if if you look close, it looks like there is something there where the uh, IPD slider may have been, but it looks like it might be a button instead of a like a rocker button instead of a slider. So probably doing here. software IPD IPD adjustment. Yeah. So one of the things that I saw the discourse on Reddit when this was posted was uh, somebody goes, oh, well, hopefully it'll have two screens. Um, and someone mentioned that Carmack has said in the past that the Quest really only has two screens because they hadn't gotten to the point where they were using one screen. like the Because the Santa Cruz de- uh, dev kit that they were working with was two screens. It was using CV1 based technology. They hadn't even really firmed up the go at the time, right? And so when once they got to that point where they were they landed with the go's build and everything, this this quest was already pretty much you know finalized. They were ready to move forward, and so it had the two screens. And he's he apparently has said in the past that the only reason it does have two screens is because they hadn't gotten to the point where they were using one screen. And he actually would have, I don't remember if it was his preference or the company's preference that there be one screen in the quest. So this is very likely just a natural evolution of they wanted one screen in the quest anyways, because it would have made it cheaper and more affordable and things like that. So, so this is just where it's going anyways. You know, it, Uh, it makes a lot of sense. Cause I mean, the the quest is outselling all their expectations. It is selling like crazy to the point that they're dialing back from their other product lines. So it makes perfect sense that they don't want to have a high complexity, high cost, you know, item that that you can't bring the the internal cost down on. Um, right. But uh, and and honestly, there are a ton of minor things that they could do to improve the Quest that would dramatically improve uh, quality of life. The biggest complaint with the Quest that I have from a lot of people is it is not very friendly to people with glasses. There are plenty of headsets that are much more comfortable to wear with glasses. With the the Pico Neo, I put it on and off without even noticing that I'm wearing my glasses, where if I manage to wrench the Quest over my glasses, when I take it off, my glasses go with it. Um, (laughs) So 
you know, having a you know wider area for for the uh, for glasses. Um, it would be cool if we could get color pass through cameras so that we actually got you know a, yeah. a color pass through. That would be nice. Would be. Um, I'd seen a thing where somebody st- took an old pair of their glasses and velcroed them to the inside yes. of the go. They're like, hey, you know, the the custom lenses are $80, or I can take this old pair of glasses, a hacksaw, and some Velcro, and $4, (laughs) I can get it done. And it's, I'm like, I mean, if you're the only one who's going to be using the headset, I guess that works. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, good enough. But it was just one of those, like, wow, okay. (laughs) Yeah. So people have measured the the dimensions, kind of the, uh, the, the ratio of measurements there. And there's a strong mm-hmm. suspicion that this is um, shallower than the original Quest. Not dramatically so, but somewhat. And that is in line with rumors. There's people saying it's lighter, it's shallower. Uh, if they could get in a, a higher battery life, that would be phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, so that when you consider yeah. the idea of, of going to a single panel and uh, maybe lightening the load by using less uh, exterior components like you know fabric wrap, things like that, you might see cost savings enough to put in a bigger battery. I mean, that was one of the things yeah. that people really complained about on the Quest, though, was the front heaviness of it. So It is. It it, is it'll heavy. be a trade-off. I mean, it's well, here's the thing, and I mean, this is something to keep in mind. Uh, the perceived weight the effective weight is is the weight multiplied by the the sort of lever arm distance out from your face so the deeper it is if you've got components on the far end the the heavier it feels against your face so if they manage to make it shallower that even if you don't change the weight it's going to feel lighter so and hopefully that with i mean as, as someone who spends all day every day you know at work in one headset or another comfort ends up counting for a lot uh having all these sort of little ergonomic issues like you know the the fit the fact that it doesn't you know fit around your glasses comfortably it runs out of battery too fast the the way that the um the usb-c cable comes in is really prone to getting sort of wrenched or wiggled loose i'm always you know hiccuping my connection because of it so i mean there's there's plenty of refinements that i would very gladly uh be, be happy to embrace for a, a a refresh so yeah imagine imagine a instead of a a side uh usb port you had like a pocket screw kind of uh setup where the cord came in at an angle and kind of grooved into the headset and was more protected from being wrenched that'd be fantastic i mean you'll notice they've rotated the uh, the USB port 90 degrees and they've shifted it significantly back and put it directly under the, the pivot for the, uh, the band. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's yes. probably designed That's to be, better. yeah, it's just a better placement. Well, I mean, they never intended for it to be plugged in while you were using it really not tethered. Um, when they discovered they could do that, I think they probably wished they'd done some things differently. <laughs> so, right, right. And, and speaking of link, I mean, it, this headset refresh, it literally could just be an XR2 chip and even cost $50 more than the regular Quest. I, I still think they'd have a huge... Uh, they'd still have sales. a head, but I, I think they have found the sweet spot with that 399 price point. Uh, and, and they might even do better squeaking it down even a little further from that. But um, it's, it's interesting because inside the VR community, when you grasp the ridiculous amount of tech that has been crammed into this headset... 
I mean, when we were all speculating about what the price would be before it came out, very few people were betting on 399. That just felt impossibly low. And but when I talk to people who aren't in the VR community and they say, "Oh, this is incredible. How much is it?" "Oh, it's 399." "Ooh, wow." Okay. You know, I mean, they they're not completely opposed, but it gives them pause. It's, right. But I mean, the the original NES Nintendo system was what like 799 when it came out or something like that, right? So, uh, effectively. I mean, it was like 179 yeah. in in low, in current dollars, which was up over 400 for right. uh, you know, equivalent. So it's the the NES is a the original NES is a very good parallel cuz it came out at a a very similar right. effective price point into a, a relatively untested market. So Right. Yeah, I right. think but there's then, there's a I lot mean, of parallels there. Here's the other there. thing that you you have to keep in mind, though, with with the NES is, you know, you're talking about it's it's a tough comparison in some ways because, you know, like you said, Eric, when when you propose this, you know, people are like, oh, this is great. How much is it? And then you say four hundred dollars. They go, holy crap, because now, you know, you're go you think, oh, well, this is a cool little thing. And, you know, maybe I'll get one for my kids or whatever. But when you think about the fact that it is the same cost or pretty close to the same cost as a PS5 coming out in a few months or right. the future Xbox uh, Maybe. series Xbox Maybe, yeah. One, X Series X 3 X-Men The Last Stand whatever the heck <laughs> the they're next calling generation, this one. Yeah. Um, XX however many <laughs> freaking X's they want to throw on it. William um, loves Microsoft consoles <laughs> so I'm just going to let you know. I'm, I look I, I'm fine with them it's just like man their naming convention is god awful but anyways I digress um, you know when you when you try and sell that to you know someone who has kids or you know something like that or even just your average gamer uh, you know when they can get a whole console for the cost of sure. what to them is closer to uh you know something like the switch that's like 249 i think that's what a lot of people are really like right comparing it to price wise because it's while it is full featured and while you have a lot that you can you can do with it i think like you know the fact that everyone recoils when you say 400 like you mentioned eric is it's still kind of a novelty to to most people they're not really sold on it yeah no i mean that's I mean, it is effectively a console. I mean, yes, you can use it tethered to do right. desktop stuff. But it is effectively a console. And consoles right. sell or don't sell on the strength of having a few killer apps, having some games right. that everyone has to play. And I mean, we've got, you know, there's Beat Saber and so on, which notably uh, Facebook purchased so that if there becomes a competitor to the Quest, it won't be on it. Um right. You know, there's there's not a there's there's a ton of good games, but very few you know, absolutely killer have to have it games. I mean, the, the closest thing we've got is Half-Life Alex, and that's desktop, so it doesn't quite drive those sales directly. Uh, a lot of people ended up going with, like, Valve Indexes if they were going to go that high end on the desktop. So, I, I think right. I think the, that the Quest being able to be tetherless, have the link, connect, and be able to do higher, more powerful stuff is just... It's, it's the sweet spot. Um uh, that, oh, I agree. Glo- yeah, uh, the, the the hybrid system, right? Yeah. No, I mean it's it's funny because you go all the way back to like Game Face Labs with their Mark IV. You know, there have been mm-hmm. people showing off this this concept of an optionally tethered headset, and I've been excited about it since we've seen it. And it's weird how the industry was very resistant to the idea. In fact, you know, 
internally right. Oculus discussed because they were like, it's not technically that difficult. Do we want to do it? And they decided no. Uh, they, they thought it was a bad idea until they discovered that it was a phenomenally good idea. I just think, uh, I think it just wasn't the right time. I think they were they were right to to not move on it. I mean, actually, the Go seems like they moved earlier than they they might have should have. Um, the 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 chipsets like the XR two needed to come out. The the full long panel screens to yeah. do two two displays effectively on one panel needed yeah. to come out and and i think we're going to see some really crazy stuff come out in the next five you know years. it's it's interesting because when you're when you're talking about devices that are this restrictive this this tight on resources where you're running off of a mobile chipset every bit helps i mean just these incremental like 20 or 30 percent you get from a, a next generation can make a huge difference i've been i wrote some software for the quest and i've been porting it to the the pico neo which has got you know, a, a chipset that's two generations newer and it's stunning how much more headroom you've got to do cool stuff. I mean, it just, you right. can breathe easier and, and really make things shine in ways where you were just struggling to hit frame rate on the quest that 835. I mean, it's, it's amazing what people are doing with it, but I, I spend 80% of my time optimizing. I mean, that's where right. my time goes is just mm-hmm. trying to get everything to happen and you can do it, but you get some extra headroom from a newer chipset. And suddenly you've just got the freedom to just take a lot of that optimization and just back burner it uh, and, and do a lot of right. cool stuff up front. And if you have a chance to tune it up, great. But that's not right. where you're spending all of your time. So for those of you out there that are listening that aren't familiar with this process, you do when you're when you're developing, you have a budget that you have to you're hitting up against and you have timelines that you're expected to, to deliver on. And, you know, the best laid plans last until the moment of execution, especially with creating something out of nothing. So when you go to develop something really cool and you have these ideas and then as you're getting into the weeds of it, you're like, well, wouldn't it be really awesome if this also kind of came in at this angle and did this cool burst effect and all this other stuff. And then you find out that you added all this really um, great eye candy, but then you get to the end of it and it, it doesn't hit frame rate or it stutters or this loads weird and you're like uh, Eric said, you're running against these razor thin margins of uh, tolerances with an older chipset like the the Snapdragon 835. One thing though, and this is something that console developers have known forever, is when you only have one target platform, when you have one chipset to target, you can do the absolute best optimization work because you're not having to worry. Is this going to run on AMD? Is it going to worry on, you know, work on Nvidia on this? You know, is it going to work on Fermi? Is it going to work on Maxwell? Um, you've got one target, and if it works perfectly on the piece of hardware sitting next to you right now, it will work perfectly for everyone. And there's a lot of power in that, and that uh, allows you to spend your optimization time very wisely. But the 835 is a stunningly constrained chip for trying to do VR. It really is. <laughs> but these so. these mobile chips is definitely going to be the way it goes. I mean, look at look at what Apple's doing with moving to their own fabrication process. Yeah, and and the the gains that they got out of just running off of a, a iPad uh, chip. I mean, there is a, a lot to be said for the stellar increases in performance that have come out of mobile chipset platforms that we're going to see uh, the VR industry very much reaping those rewards in the coming years. The a thing that people don't often give much specific thought to is that the 
the shortcomings on mobile chipsets are not evenly distributed. Uh, for example, RAM. The, the Quest actually has a very respectable amount of RAM. It has, you know, a sort of low-end desktop amounts of RAM. And its CPU power is actually, for, for single, single processor, single-threaded, is within spitting distance of the min-spec desktop CPU uh, for desktop VR. And for multi-threaded, it actually exceeds it. Uh, it's the GPU where the the crunch is where the the pain mm-hmm. is and that is i mean our current you know at, at our current the 835 is 11 percent as powerful of a gpu as the minimum spec on a pc which is just ridiculously painful but there's things you can can play with on that oh i've got tons of ram i've got a fast cpu so you you kind of balance things around but um yeah it's just you know, with desktop GPUs, you can draw a lot of power and generate a lot of heat. It's allowed. You put a bunch of big loud fans on it. You say, fine, it takes 400 watts. We don't care. If you're running off of a battery, you can't draw 400 watts. You can't generate ridiculous amounts of heat in a, a mobile form factor. Um, one of the things that's notable, the the Pico Neo, yeah, it's got a much faster processor. When the fan spins up, people hear it a room away. <laughs> I mean, I, I I had it plugged in. I had it running a simulation. I was in another room, and I heard it spin up, and I started running around in a panic trying to figure out what, <laughs> what was going on. And I'm like, it's the headset. I've never heard a headset do that. I mean, the Quest does have active cooling, but it's so quiet that you can't really hear it. But, you know, they went a different direction. They said, yeah, clock it up and cool it down. And that's valid. But, I mean, putting a very loud, very powerful fan on your mobile GPU has got significant trade-offs to both battery life and heat and comfort and i mean i hear the fan going when i'm in the when i'm in the experience come on so, heat, yeah. heat pipes connected to your feet with manual pumps so that when you walk yeah around. i want like four foot <laughs> no. radiator fence sticking out in all no, directions no, no, no. Just, yes you you hook yourself up to an iv and run that through a radiator on the front of the helmet. There you <laughs> go. Use yourself. I like you are it. A, you are, you a are the heat body sink. cooler. You're right. I like it. Yeah, there you go. It's blood cooled. <laughs> blood cooled. I love it. It sounds so dystopian I mean, and cyber. They just say, you know, liquid awesome. cooled. They didn't specify what liquid. Exactly. Yeah. And 98 and degrees is cool for that liquid. Kind of so, yeah. liquid. Will, do you have any uh, personal interest in furthering the Matrix? Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, endeavor. <laughs> oh God! So, so, batteries. So, uh, so we're speculating, or the the rumor is that this is uh, this holiday season is when they're trying to get this out. Right. That, the that's, the that's belief the is mill. the the leak is that it's already in production. It went to production right. like this week. Uh, I would not be shocked. Right, and that would all the timelines would line up because they they'd said they were targeting. A holiday release and it would make sense because they would be able to announce it at oculus connect take pre-orders a month later and then ship in time for christmas uh and everyone kind of assumed that covid shutting down china would make that impossible but it kind of sounds like maybe not well i Which, mean the 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 quote-unquote leak right it was like a yeah the article in Nikkei asian review it's not right it's not like a fly-by-night right no i mean it, these are it's sort of kremlinology i mean you you don't have an official announcement, but you can you can see the parts orders. You can see all these things happening around the outside, and it 
you can put together a fairly high confidence picture of what's happening. So yeah, it's 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 very very clear that they are doing a refresh, and it is moderately clear that they are trying hard for a release this year. But okay. uh, so we'll see before, what actually plays out. Before we put this topic to bed, everybody, yay or nay on uh, you think that they're going to do a price bump or, or change the price at all, let's put it that way. My bet is they will release it at the same price, but will give themselves the headroom to drop it over time, which they couldn't really before. Will? I, I don't know. I'm leaning towards more, um, not significantly more. But I'm thinking like $50 more than the standard. And then uh, if there's still any stock of the original Quest, we'll see those price drops come six months from release. Uh, not not of the, the Pro or the S, but of the standard uh, Quest. I think they'll start phasing that out. Kevin? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that it'll probably launch at the same price of 400 and then we we might see a price drop on any remaining uh, original Quest units out there. I'm thinking maybe fifty bucks, uh, but but probably not too much overall. But I don't think they will probably have much in the way of remaining old stock of original Quest left. Yeah. No, I mean it seems like they're. I don't think they got a backlog to sell through, really. I'm going to throw out one right. truly significant disappointment looking at this render that, that just popped into my head. I've spent a lot of time in the uh, the Valve Index, and I love the daylights out of the suspended off-ear speakers. Uh, the the quality's phenomenal. There's no pressure on your ears. There's no real, not much sound leakage. Uh, from your experience out into the world. Uh, I want everyone to do that, and it does not look like that is what we're going to see in this, unfortunately. So, Yeah. I mean, they'll still hopefully be the bolt-on additions. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty sure you can do it aftermarket. I mean, you got like VR ears and so on, and I'm sure there will be an adapter almost instantly to make it work. Uh, So all is not lost, but uh, it's such an elegant solution that uh, that gives you the higher audio quality that you're currently missing. So, would you pay an extra hundred dollars for ultra premium uh, built-in headphones? Would I pay that? Yes, yes. obviously. Yes. No. But I mean, would the average person pay that? Probably not. Well, I think I think just like the the console market, there's always room for a premium skew for you know the the product that you're selling. I think we're definitely going to see multiple skews of this refresh. You think right? so? We're going to see. Uh, yeah, the, uh, at least for the difference in onboard storage, just like the possibly. Current, uh, current oh yeah, version. there'll be the two different ones: sixty-four, one twenty-eight. I, I I wouldn't be totally shocked if they nixed the sixty-four. They go to one twenty-eight, two fifty-six. Uh huh. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Given how how cheap and affordable, like yeah, it doesn't you know, cost them much. Flash drive for for nothing nowadays. And and frankly, I have eventually maxed out. <laughs> so you know. Right. Yeah. Well, I I it doesn't shock me. I mean, yeah. I was thinking, I was talking to a friend the other day about it, about how crazy it is. Flash storage is so cheap. I remember buying an eight gigabyte flash drive my senior year of high school for $95 and it was a deal. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, now I have a 128 gigabyte that's a micro SD. 
So I'm like, man, you know, it's it's crazy how cheap it is. Yeah. You know, storage. Is Flash getting, storage so I totally is stupid see them cheap. Do a 128, so. Yeah, I, I would be a little disappointed if they didn't pump it up. And games are only going to get bigger. Exactly. Oh, of course. Right. So. So uh, somewhat of a segue from here. One wonders. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One wonders. <laughs> how do you get a uh, a piece of high tech manufacturing produced in China during COVID? And the answer may be slave labor. <laughs> so who wants to talk about that? <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's some. That's go a, ahead, Josh. That's a pretty crazy story. the The idea that they're using um, a population of in, indigenous. Uh, Muslims that um, live in China that they're sequestering and as a purportedly sequestering and using for slave labor for these um, purposes, not just VR. Okay, it's right, not, right. Like, no, that's the only yeah. thing that's happening. But it's it's just manufacturing at, right. at all. The the little report that kind of came out mentioned eighty three companies, and these right. are huge companies that people use every single day right. you know and again right. not not just vr it's uh clothing automobiles all kinds of electronics right. and so. and to be clear i don't think anyone is is accusing the end you know product releasing companies like oculus of knowingly yes. participating in this but you know a layer down or two layers down it's it's very easy to obscure that from the the people that are purchasing your services unfortunately especially in a country with uh, not the best human rights record and a lot of opacity as to what's going on behind the scenes and right. and to to me that's what gives this some kind of credit is yeah. is the opacity of the whole whole thing you know everybody knows how how china is with their their intellectual properties from other countries and you know doing anything they can you know everybody sees the knockoff toys right you know that of 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 things that are they're they're exactly the same in the package just labeled and branded a little bit differently Um, i love my pokemans (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, so the, the the argument I saw falls squarely in that same that same side of things, which was somebody said, well, you know, it's not so much that they're knowingly choosing to go and, and use you know slave labor to, to develop these things or right. to manufacture these things. In a lot of cases, um, you know, a lot of the world's manufacturing is done in China. That's the way that things are right now. Right. Um, and in a lot of cases, when you talk about a when you get down to these like base components, uh there are only, you know, maybe three or four, you know, companies that you can contract out with um, to, to, you know, to work with to get your, your product manufactured. So it's not so much that, that, you know, anyone is, is uh, choosing. Um, but, you know, if there's only three companies that they can get, you know, something manufactured by, they've got to pick the best of what they can deal with. Um, but, you know, they don't really have, like y'all mentioned, there, there's not a whole lot of uh, transparency into the operation. There's, there's almost always a couple of layers between right. the the foreign buyers and, and the, the Chinese manufacturers. You you never deal directly. So it's right. it's frustratingly difficult, even for people who are trying to be as, as careful as possible. Uh, 
you know, Apple has, has run up against this a number of times, uh, trying right. to, to be ethical in its sourcing and, and finding that to be frustratingly difficult. So, I mean, uh, imagine it in a real world example, like you, you go to buy a, a new house that just got built. Right. How, how do you know who, who the, not just who the, the, the actual company that built the house, but all their contractors and subcontractors exactly. and where th- those people went to purchase the goods, like the wood, where was that wood sourced from? And what was the guy's exactly. name right. that that day chopped it down and did he do it the right way? Or right. Whatever. It's, it's very difficult There's to so get the much. entire supply chain, you know, to have exactly. any sort it's of accountability. Such a long, it's such a long chain right. of custody from, from inception to physical product that it's really hard for companies to avoid things like this especially when a lot of manufacturing globally happens in in, in China and other countries. And, and to be you know, and to be clear, I mean, you know, it is opaque, but I mean, as soon as you know that there is potentially a problem, you know, there there is a degree of responsibility for then trying to get to the bottom of it and making right. sure that it's Absolutely. not happening or if it is happening that it stops. But uh, so it's not to, you know, absolve people, but I, I don't think anyone's being accused of, of knowingly exploiting Right. No, labor no one, from I, don't, I haven't seen any, the end any accounts. Yeah. I haven't seen any accounts that say, oh, Oculus or HTC, you know, they're they're intentionally. I mean, right. the, the headline I saw did say HTC, Oculus and more using slave labor right. in China. But but that's sensationalism. And yeah, that's that's things. how you write a headline. But so. the actual <laughs> article doesn't say, you know, like, oh, well, you know, they directly sought out this company or, you know, they've they're doing this or that. It's basically just saying, hey, you know, they use this company, which like like y'all mentioned 86 other major companies are using and there's some questionableness about what's going on so. I'd, I'd like to take that moment real quick to just say as a psa to everybody out there please 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 fact check look at different yeah. sources yeah find the same information coming from different reputable sources you're intelligent all of you out there that are listening you're very intelligent people you can think for yourself and come to uh, logical conclusions talk to your friends about it don't trust just, you know, random sharing things on Facebook as your, your total source for news. I feel like I just signed off John Oliver. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So. so travel together with Oculus Quest. So this is something they, they talked about a little bit, right? This is, yeah. this is kind of, well, it's, it's an expansion of what they talked about at Connect, the last Connect, which was. Yes. The last Connect was meet together. In, in in Oculus Quest, you know, have your right, sort of a deep linking. Game, kind of well, I think the the cool thing is it means that okay, we're playing table tennis, and now we want to play poker, and now we want to play Star Trek Bridge Crew. Right. We can that's seamless now, or at least you know it will be as it you know gets refined. We can stick together right. and jump from one app to the next to the next, and not you know have the whole okay, I'll see you guys in such and such, and then have fifteen minutes of of struggling to get everybody into the same room, you know. Right, and so, this is basically like the party feature that a lot of a lot of yes. games have now, or a lot of platforms. Like, I don't think Steam quite has something like this exactly. It has the ability to like invite people to games, um, but I don't think it yeah. has the ability to just say like, "Hey, we're all four going to go do this." Um, no, and that's is, a really cool thing. You know, it's a cool, it's a cool little feature. That's a yeah. No, hopefully that gets widely imitated and improved because that's that's a very cool feature. I give them uh, full credit. Uh, lots of, there, there was a, an hour plus long talk, you know, going through their, you know, Facebook's display development. And then we've gotten a follow-up paper like within a week later 
uh, high-resolution Etendue expansion for holographic displays, which is a mouthful and is a layer on top of a layer on top of a layer of discussion of, uh, hey, what if we had a cooler display? <laughs> so um, we've talked in the past. In fact, there was a recent episode we talked about you know, display technology and optics and so on. And one of the ones that was, you know, just being discussed, you know, you've got pancake displays where you have multiple layers of lenses uh, coated with half-reflective polarizing film so that you can bounce the light back and forth and expand the distance that's been traveled um, so you can thin up the distance between your display and your eyes. And they'd started playing with using holographic film to do that but there's a problem with that. And the problem is that the field of view, the amount of you know, the, the world encompasses you so you don't feel like you're looking through ski goggles, it is inversely proportional to the eye box, which is the, the area that your eye can be in and see the hologram. And in order to get out to about 120 degrees, which is kind of the you know where we roughly are, you have to have an eye box so small that moving your eye, just looking in a different direction, could place it outside the eye box. And that's a huge problem. In fact, potentially a deal-breaking problem that they think they may have cracked. Yeah, that's the the problem with with that is, is really how close you are to the screen. Because that, that technology works really well the, the further back you go. The eye box right. is bigger and it yes. changes all that, right? So that's 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 where all this stems from is... Again, going back to our earlier conversation about where Eric was saying how astounding the amount of technology that is crammed into these little devices. Um, it's just trying to be out of the box, crazy creative with how to reinvent all of the wheels. This is, I mean, this is seriously out of the box thinking. You know, they're aiming for a sunglasses-like form factor, and they've got a prototype with some limitations that that does this using layers of holographic film. Uh, Apparently, in order to get around the fact that the the eye box is very small for that field of view, they've talked about scattering it and coming in from multiple angles. So you effectively have you know eye boxes angled in from all these different angles. Um, the trick is that that's a jumbled mess. How do you produce that? And it requires a ridiculous display. But they've come up with algorithms that can take you know the single lower res image and can sort of multiplex it out across a much larger display from all these angles and cast it in. And it's kind of like with with most lenses you've got in VR, uh, in order to reduce weight, because you know, if you've got like a camera lens, in order to get rid of chromatic aberration, they end up having multiple corrective elements. They've got like four or five lenses stacked in a row that are all heavy glass with expensive coatings. Um, you can't do that in VR because it's expensive and it's heavy and it's hanging off the front of your face. You do use a cheap lens and then in software, you actually separate the colors out so that when they pass through the flawed lens, they line back up again. And this is the same idea. They're they're figuring out what the profile is coming into this uh, film, and they're reversing it back out and then scattering it to match up. Very cool if you can pull it off. And it, it sounds like they're having some success. So, I mean, it's, it's exciting that we're getting some radical optical advances coming out of vr you know and optics is a field that's been you know semi-stagnant for quite you know quite a long time i mean there's a lot of minor refinements but not people doing completely insane things you know bringing in whole new paradigms so very excited to see this 
for those of you out there that may not have jumped on the bandwagon, so to speak, yet, and you're just kind of wondering, how does this pertain to me, or, or where will I see this technology outside of a VR headset? Um, one of the examples is, I believe, Mercedes and, and all their t- 2021 cars are going to have holographic displays, heads-up displays, um, built into the front dash for the driver. So this kind of technology permeates uh, all... Uh, walks of life that integrate with technology and I, I expect to see these kinds of uh, innovations and breakthroughs start to um, infiltrate everywhere yeah I'm, I'm hoping we'll get spillover benefits on a lot of these things so and and th- this was the uh the the, the white paper that oculus yeah. came out with okay okay yeah. and and then they they also kind of showed a picture of basically someone wearing sunglasses being, right this is theoretically what it what it would be well i mean they had one i mean it is a functional prototype but it, i believe it was monochromatic and and had a limited oh, field yeah, of view. oh yeah yeah yeah, that, yeah that's right so yeah. uh they're talking about how to make it not monochromatic and have a wide field of view it was it was but all I think green right it was all green mm-hmm. yeah if if it was that form factor and it looked the way it did in that render or that picture, then can they please just make it like the Back to the Future headset? That, <laughs> I mean, come on, you're just so close. You might you're as so well. Close. You really might as well. Have it come with self lacing Nike sneakers. <laughs> I mean, they so, did release those, so exactly yeah, a handful of them. <laughs> All right, Dreams by Media Molecule. Uh, we've got some news. Who wants to talk about that? So, yeah. Oh, go get, ahead, Kevin. Yeah, I think Kevin's our may, go-to. You may have seen a little <laughs> bit more about this than I have. The well, things that I have seen about dreams are very weird, so take it away. <laughs> well, so so uh, dreams has kind of been out there for a while. Uh, it's done by by Media Molecule, who did the old uh, Little Big Planet games. If anyone ever played those on PlayStation. Um, but recently they started to add in uh like well d- during development of it they started to add in vr support for it so uh this as far as i know this will only be with psvr uh but i'm hoping with this push that sony has been doing recently of of getting their games out onto pc that hopefully we will see it on on pc vr as well um but it's i i'm really interested in it because it's pretty much a game engine that they're just releasing out to everybody and people can use this uh, originally a lot of stuff was coming out showing things that were very reminiscent of um uh, uh, medium, Oculus Medium, and kind of quill type stuff. It was a lot of modeling and and artist type type renderings. Uh, but as as time went on, they started to show off more that it's it's gonna allow you to do a lot of like I said, a lot of uh, video game kind of engine type stuff. So. I think this will be really cool to see, you know, getting that out there into the mass populace and just have people tinker around with 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 this in VR and seeing what what they come up with. Uh, 
it'll it'll remind us a lot of the old DK two days. Yeah, you know, uh, th- th- this was just people working on little projects here and there, and kind of sh- showing off kind of tech demos and stuff. But but still, with with this being able for people to concept and visualize things much easier, uh, I I think it'll it'll lead to some some pretty big things in in vr in the long run so i i think this is a, a really good spark but so what what things have you been seeing will so i i did see upload i think it was either upload or a uh, road to vr but i think it was upload did a live stream of of the new stuff or of the new psvr you know compatibility but i mean i've seen some old some videos of just of the the stock dreams game and there's some weird stuff on there like the idea is, is like you said, everybody can create whatever they want. And this has been attempted a few times in gaming history. Um, you had games like Spore, where you kind of created your own world and all the creatures in it. Um, uh, Microsoft did Project Spark, which was the same idea, like sort of mm-hmm. um, creating this game engine, this distributed game engine that everybody could have access to. And you didn't have to be a programmer to figure things out. And, and so they've built up this base of content and so it's i think it's smart for them to have waited until now to release sort of vr compatibility um it's just a question of how well that works um i didn't have a chance to watch too much of the live stream i was busy that uh i was busy while that was going on but um it's interesting it's an interesting take i i worry a little bit about bad experiences um people you know jumping into things and saying oh this this dreams game looks pretty cool and then you know jumping into something that's poorly designed and doesn't you know someone who's not aware of the what now four five ish six ish years of of uh you know development lessons learned um that sure. right may really yeah. oh yeah 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 i gotcha that's yeah that's that's certainly a risk i mean i played a ton of dk1 and dk2 demos that were conceptually brilliant and made me want to vomit so uh <laughs> i love it <laughs> there's the important thing to note that uh all all things that all the dreams that were created before today um which is the 22nd obviously it'll be this podcast will probably got a little bit later than this but um as the update hits all the past created dreams will have vr disabled by default unless the creators go in and verify that it's ready for vr i believe something That's, like that that seems very smart and then any right, content created after the update will uh, you'll be able to say that this is either vr only or you know anybody can play it right it's, now, it's also is, a free update which is really cool. that is cool right and, and that's cool and i like that 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 that's a good idea to to disable it by default or to say okay is this vr ready or not um but I, you know, my point still stands. I, I, I have a little bit of concern given how prevalent the PSVR is. Yeah. Um, of people, you know, getting in there and, and going, oh, let's try Dreams VR. You know, this looks yeah. cool. And then just getting absolutely motion sick and you know just being turned off from the platform. Now this um, is but PlayStation VR only, right? Not terrible. Uh, yes. Uh, as yes. far as I know, yeah. yeah. Is there are there any plans to bring it to other platforms? I don't think the game itself is on right i know it's it's not i was just wondering whether they were so because i mean like paper beast was psvr exclusive and just finally hit uh, steam so yeah i'm 
I'm always kind of that's the one VR platform I don't have. <laughs> so I'm always uh, a little sad when things are, are locked into that ecosystem. That's selfish, though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, plans too. I'm I'm not sure. Okay. But kind kind of like I'm I mentioned, there has been a push from Sony recently of of actually getting their content out on PC. Right. So so I'm I'm hopeful that that it will come to to uh, to to PC. Uh, and and will for for your concerns, uh, back in in Little Big Planet days, and so I'm sure th- this is something that they've just carried over. Uh, but w- within the uh, creation, it was mm-hmm. structured with how much you could put into it. Right. So that that limits you know with how much you're able to do. So I, I don't think performance necessarily will be too much of no, a problem, no, no. but but design absolutely sure. could be a That's problem. That's the biggest thing is the design. Uh, I, I don't worry too much about performance in the way of like the frame rate is going to tank and people are going to feel sick. It's more about, you know, forcibly making the person move the joysticks, you know, things right. that things that we know and have learned over the last six to seven years mm-hmm. about what is and isn't a good VR experience your average PSVR user isn't aware of. Um, and so they'll, they'll think, Oh, I'm going to remake, you know, legend of Zelda and VR. And we know now after several years that that's not really the best right. uh, experience. It, it doesn't really kind of work. It's cool to walk around in those environments, but you're really not going to be able to do a whole heck of a lot uh, without making somebody sick. Yeah. And, and, so. and uh, another thing on that is uh, it did also have a, uh, voting system yeah uh, you know so you that could thumbs nice. up thumbs down that so should, obviously weed out the so worst into, like, if there's most problems. popular yeah. things like that yeah. right. so well, on another topic courtesy of the pandemic uh none of us are going to be going to see a major league baseball game in person unless we're playing in it uh but we may be able to go see them in vr uh who wants to talk about that so i i well i i, I put this up there uh uh, I, I don't think any of us are, are too big into sports, uh, but obviously I have a heard of lot the of the rest ball. of the world is. Um, but so <laughs> apparently it's popular. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, they they apparently get paid millions of dollars to you know throw balls around. Confusing, uh, but fascinating. <laughs> um, but you know, it's it it it, it kind of makes me think uh, again of of. A, a coworker or a, an ex coworker of of mine uh, that you know he was he's very very much into into sports and you know he himself wasn't so much into video games uh, and at this at this time I think it was still DK two days yeah uh, but something that I mentioned to him is now. How? What would you think of VR, though, if you could uh, sit down and watch a his his favorite team was the Boston Red Sox for baseball, and you know he he would actually try and go see a game at the stadium in in Boston at like at least once a year, and so I you know I I, I would kind of ask him it's like. How would you feel about VR, though, if you could pretty much put on a VR headset, you know, and you're you're there, you know, 
sitting right over one of the dugouts or behind home plate or maybe all all seats if you wanted to you know you could just switch around right. whenever you wanted to and you know basically for the the cost that he would spend of a plane ticket and hotel and the ticket of the game he could basically get this VR headset sure you know so it, that would definitely be a big factor for him in actually going out and buying a headset, which of right. course then opens up this whole other world to him as well. You know, now that he actually has this in his hands. So, so for a, those of you out there that are wanting to tune into this, this is specifically talking about uh, MLB VR viewing app coming to the Quest. Yes. Mm-hmm. And in order to tune into live games, you'll need a MLB.tv or AtBat premium subscription to take advantage of it. But if you have those things at hand, then you'll get treated to a, a 360 viewing experience where you're in a great seat. You'll get additional statistics that will be tuned in or, or piped in directly into your video feed. You'll get some, uh, I guess, some 3D visualizations of hits as they happen, some other fun things that they're going to work into the technology to better leverage what VR can do. Apparently, Intel signed a deal with the MLB back in 2017, and uh, some of the speculation is that that deal has uh, run its course, and that's why we're now seeing it come out on the Quest. I, I have coworkers who are big sports fans who are incredibly excited about the idea of really high quality VR attendance, you know, courtside tickets to you know basketball games, things like that. Um, to the extent that they've tried it, what's been out there up till now, they've been disappointed. They said that the streaming yeah. quality was poor uh, and the, the resolution limits on the, the headset were challenging. Uh, if they can get past that and make a really compelling experience where you feel like you are in the most expensive seat in the house and potentially could jump to multiple seats you know, based on what, where the action is happening, that's hugely compelling to a lot of people. So I I think, you know, that could be a killer app for a certain subset of the population. I just feel like it's going to get misused for like trash talking your friends who live in different cities. Like, (laughs) Hey, yeah, I was watching the Red Sox game and they suck at home just as much as they did here. Blah blah. You know, like I just, I can imagine that's absolutely what's going to (laughs) happen. Um, but yeah, no, I agree. If they can get really good quality streaming, uh, and you're like, you know, behind the, the, the plate, you know, those, those seats, I think that'd be a fantastic thing. I definitely try it out. I go to a game, you know, whenever I can here, I'm not a super big like fan and I don't really follow all the stats and things like that, but it's fun to go to a game every now and again. And if you could do that from like the comfort of your home, it's, it's pretty cool. Well, I, I, I definitely don't have an MLB.tv or at-bat premium subscription. So, But well, if you know my, 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 my buddy, My buddy and I, we stand outside, and whenever we uh, know a, a, a home run happens, we bang on a trash can to, to let the other go. person know. There you go. There you go. <laughs> All right. It's one last thing before we wrap up. Uh, it's more of a teaser. Yes, it is. Uh Last year, there was a, a Kickstarter for a product called Yaw VR, Y-A-W VR, that was a motion simulator platform for use with virtual reality. 
uh, that would feed off of the existing telemetry data that gets fed out of, say, driving simulations, flying simulations, uh, roller coaster simulations, and so on. Um, but the, the real selling point was it is for a motion platform, inexpensive um, and compact. It, it folds down to something you could slide under a desk and lightweight enough that you one person can pick it up and carry it around relatively comfortably. Um, I had pretty much sworn off backing hardware-based VR uh, because I've, I've had a very hit or miss uh, success ratio with uh, them shipping. But it was so cool, I eventually bit the bullet and backed it. And amazingly, uh, this last Friday, a, a big wooden crate showed up on my front doorstep, and I have a Yaw VR. Um, unfortunately, I have a Yaw VR minus about three parts, and those three parts will need to be shipped from Hungary, so I can't give you a full review yet. Uh, but I put it together well enough, I could test it off of uh, Bluetooth on my phone, Um it has a, a real, honest-to-goodness airplane seat belt in it. And uh, they say, you know, when you're initially using it, limit it to a, a maximum of 10 degrees in any direction and 50% power on the motors. They weren't kidding. At, uh, at 10%, uh, 10 degrees and 50% power, it would have thrown me off of the platform if I weren't buckled in. It is impressively powerful and i am really really looking forward to playing you know a set of corso and elite dangerous and no limits Two on this and, and getting that additional layer of immersion that goes with having your body moving in sync with what you're seeing so uh hopefully right. by the next episode i will have gotten that fully assembled and tested and have some thoughts on it just please keep a camera rolling in the background just in case you happen to get thrown from <laughs> it. I mean, in case you happen to com- remain completely safe and, and Yes, and of course. Disturbed. Right. Well, we have to figure out some socially distanced way to, to get multiple people to try this. But uh, Look, I've, I've always wanted to ro- run around in a giant hamster bubble. So if we could get that there going. There is a, uh, what are those called? The, there's a name for them. The, the giant VR hamster ball. If anyone, oh, if, oh, we talked about this if anyone is interested, there is one for sale just north of Austin, Texas, for five thousand dollars. Yeah, huh. it's ten feet tall. Go to, go now to our Patreon. <laughs> so that, we can, that sounds fantastic. That's so. That's where it would be. I can imagine. But wow. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, everybody, stay safe. Uh, we appreciate everyone listening. If you have questions, suggestions, feedback, you know, please send them in. Uh, please review us. Please share with your friends. And we hope if you if you love the podcast, please, please, it really means the world to us to give us five stars or, or yes. honest feedback on on any platform that you experience us on. If you didn't like the podcast, give us five stars to let us know <laughs> that you didn't like it. Right. We really appreciate it. Yes. There you go. In the meantime, right. uh, stay safe, uh, have fun in VR, and we'll see you next time. All right. See you, everyone. Adios. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Virtually Relevant. If you liked it, please consider rating and reviewing us on your favorite podcast app. It helps bring us up in the charts and makes us easier to find. If you'd like to support Houston VR and this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon member at patreon.com slash Houston VR. Until next time, thanks for listening.